hear and feet to do and hearts to love. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, a couple things. First, John, you crushed that song. That was awesome. Crazy. And okay, she's better than me. I get it. I, all right, I got it. So good to have our sister back uh, leading us in worship. Um, we love you and we're thankful that you're part of our family. Uh, I'm Joe Davis. I'm continuing this series on 1 John. It's called So That Our Joy Is Complete. <clears throat> the idea behind it was there were a group of churches that had their joy being stolen by people who were teaching false doctrine, false theology, false gospels. And John is writing them to encourage them to let them know you are children of God and here's why. Today I've titled the message, I'll Never Leave. And while I've kind of made it personally, I, I want you to begin to uh, think about this in a way that at the end of the message, I want you to be able to say, I'll never leave either. Um, let me explain where this comes from. Throughout my life as a Christian, both as a church person in the pews and in the pews. What, what are pews? We don't even know. <laughs> in the seats um, or as a pastor, uh, I have seen people in my life that have identified with Christ and then suddenly totally disappear. I don't mean just missing the gathering on Sundays. I mean, that's part of it, but sometimes life gets rough and Sundays are hard. But I mean a total disconnection from God's people. I mean, you develop these connections, you make sacrifices, you show love, you give gifts of fellowship, you give help in time of need, etc. Then one day after all of that, you look around and people that were there suddenly aren't anymore. And it's disheartening. It's saddening. It's heartbreaking. And as a pastor, I can tell you for me personally, it can be very depressing. As a part of a church family, it can be very confusing, can it not? What happened to this person? Where are they? Why did they leave? Where did they go? Did we do something wrong? Sometimes we say, well, they're, they're gone because of us. As a church, we just screwed up. We feel guilt. But then we slip into sometimes resentment. I can't believe they left after all we've been through. And there's sadness. And these are emotions that many in this group of churches that John wrote to were dealing with. Let's look at the passage today. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have already come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So let's talk about the historical aspect. I want to talk about those who left, those he's talking about. You know, before I get to that, Paul had discussed this same issue with Timothy 
uh, as he worked in the same region before he was imprisoned and, and died, before John got there, Paul was in this same area dealing with the Gnostics and this false teaching, this idea of moral relativism and, and all those things. And, and John, or Paul writes in 2 Timothy, I'll just read it. It's a little bit longer passage, but it's important for you to get it, to understand the historical concept of this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of... Man, he went off, didn't he? <laughs> he snapped. Yo, Paul snapped. Having the appearance... <laughs> of godliness but denying its power avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women households meaning the church burdened with sins and led astray by various passions also learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth in other words they're learning a lot but they never understand the gospel so let me explain what's going on. These are antichrists from within. So there's a misconception about antichrist. I'm going to try to dispel it for you here just really quickly. Many that taught Gnosticism, this idea of, you know, Jesus did not die for your sins. He, he, he came and just died as an object lesson. And if you arrive at a certain level of knowledge, you will be connected to God. You don't, it's not about sin. Don't worry about that. They all, many of them came from inside these churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And John calls them all Antichrist. And don't get confused by flawed teaching about what or who Antichrist is or are. It's not just one mythical, magical character that comes on the scene with amazing charisma and miraculous powers. It's a term used to refer to anyone teaching a theology antithetical to the gospel of Christ, like, for example, Gnosticism. And John explains... They were people that were once part of the fellowship. These people, these many antichrists that have come and have corrupted the church, they were among us at one point. So they were antichrists from within. So John pinpoints the fact that our problem, our difficulty, our struggle, our pain, our heartbreak is being caused by people who were once part of our churches. <clears throat> And the result of these antichrists is a moral numbing. Remember, one of the main concepts that Gnosticism taught was that morality was relative. Moral relativism. Morality and sin are just imaginary. What is right or wrong is relative to each person, not some absolute standard. Therefore, we don't need to be saved from sin or worry about sin. Don't worry about being sinful. That's just a mirage. It shows you really haven't arrived at full understanding. You just be you. Seek your salvation in knowledge, not righteousness. And as a result, Gnostics had made an excuse for hedonism. And many people were beginning to embrace it. The idea of YOLO. You only live once. Get all you can because sin is not really even real. Those that left behind the fellowship with God's people and embraced the freedom of Gnostic immorality. 
And that was what, it, what began to happen is they would teach this bad theology. Some people became morally numb to what righteousness was and they didn't care anymore. And this led to what we discussed earlier, this betrayal and heartbreak. You have to understand the churches that John wrote to were heartbroken. They were discouraged. They were full of doubt. They were wondering how in the world could all this happen? It was heartbreaking for many in the church as people they loved abandoned them for a life of hedonism and fulfilling the flesh. They looked around and people they loved were now gone. They had embraced the Gnostics and they had left the family. They felt abandonment, betrayal, anger, denial, all the stages of grief were involved as they normally are when important relationships in our life end. This contributed to their doubts about their own salvation. I mean, I thought it was real, but look at them. Am, am I really? I want to stay, but, but if it's not, if they're not saved, am I? And you could see how that would bring doubt, and that's why he wrote the song that we talked about the week before. My young children, young men, fathers, I know that you're children of God. So that's the historical part of what's going on in this passage and why John writes this little segment of 1 John chapter 2. Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've entitled this section, Why We Stay. John says their choice, the, the Antichrist and those whom they had influenced, their choice of the world over God's people is proof that they were never really a part of God's people in the first place. He says they left and it shows they were never part of us. I mean, think about it. How could really somebody that knows the sweetness of fellowship with God and his people forsake it for the world? How in the world could somebody forsake the fellowship of God's people for a Bentley? The fact of the matter is the work of the gospel has the power and the authority to supersede all these obstacles to fellowship that the world may offer you. So the first point is there's this continual advocacy. As we learned a couple weeks ago, Christ is a two-way advocate. Remember I taught you that? Not only is he saying to God, look to me, I am their righteousness. Remember that advocacy saying, God, don't look at their sinfulness, look at me. I have died for their sinfulness. I, I am their righteousness. But he's also advocating to us, be like me. And he's in the middle advocating for righteousness both ways. Not just to the Father for us to be counted righteous, but also to be righteous. That's that two-way advocacy we talked about. <clears throat> There's a couple verses I want to read to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 from a couple weeks ago. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And Hebrews 7.25, Paul says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So one of the reasons why we stay is there is this, well, among God's children, this continuous, nonstop, perfect advocacy by the all-powerful God in the form of Jesus Christ, his son. How in the world could anybody leave if you've got an advocate working both ways that way? Then there's another thing I want to look at is why we should stay. There's this continual transformation. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, we continue to make progress becoming more like Christ. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One of the benefits of this ongoing continual advocacy is this transformation that takes place in our lives. Children of God are never stagnant. Did you know that? Even if you think you are or you feel you are, the fact that you feel stagnant is proof that you're not, if that makes sense. I just feel like I'm going nowhere. Well, that's because God is telling you you're not going anywhere. There's a constant pull, and I love this part about my salvation. I don't know about you, but I love this part. There's a constant pull of the Spirit of God to bring me closer. Sometimes I fight it, but it always wins. It just keeps me connected to God. A constant shift in my paradigms, my values, or my passions or my loyalties is always taking place and moving me forward to more righteousness as he is advocating for that in me and in you. Sometimes the transformation, the continual transformation is very fast and noticeable. Like sometimes it is, wow, I cannot believe I am that person yesterday. Today, I feel like I'm new. And we see it and it's stark and those are the times that we really love. That's the fun part, right? Man, that was huge transformation. Sometimes, though, it's quite slow. But it's always there. There's continual transformation. You know what else God does to make sure that we will stay? There's this continuous fellowship. See, children of God will always desire fellowship with other believers. They will always miss it when it's not around. It is impossible. Listen carefully to me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this example. It is impossible for a child to say, eh, I don't need church anymore. I'm good, just me and God. Wrong. 100% wrong. Don't bring that stuff in here. <laughs> Here's one I've always heard. The golf course is my church. No, it's not. Christ did not die for the golf course. He died for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fishing is my church. No, it's not. He created the fish. He didn't save them. He saved you. The church is your church. Only one thing can be the church. It's that thing that Christ gave his life for and is continually advocating for and continually transforming. If any of you think it's okay to think something else is your church besides church, I'm sorry. That's not how God set it up. I'm going to read a couple of verses. John 13, same author, just a few years before he wrote this letter, he wrote the Gospel of John. He says in verse 34 and 35 of chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, Christ speaking here. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see that? It's impossible to say you love God and not be absolutely in love with his children. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 11. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Have an honor contest. Compete with each other, showing honor to one another. Do not be slothful in your zealousness. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. How? 
through showing one another honor. You know, the greatest way to explain this whole process is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a great synopsis of the spiritual concepts I just went through for you. This is why we stay. Can you see how it is impossible when you think of all those things? And I, I gave you a lot of scripture, I know, and it, I went through a lot. But I wanted, to un, I wanted you to understand that this idea of the reason you stay is a supernatural act by your Savior. It is impossible to have a Savior like that and say, eh, I'm going for the world instead. It won't happen. So let's talk about the personal. What about us? What are we supposed to do and why and how do we do it? I've entitled this section, All We Need. Look. I'm the first to admit, the church is far from perfect. The problem is many who aren't of Christ will see this as an excuse to abandon it. Matter of fact, if you're using that as an excuse to abandon fellowship with God's people, that's proof you're not really part of it. You know why? Because to turn your back on a church that is flawed and you turn your back on a church because it's flawed is the kind of arrogance that frankly cannot exist in the heart of someone that understands their own depravity. Their own desperate need of, you see how ironic it would be? Well, I, I am depraved and I understand I have a desperate need of grace and forgiveness, but this church is not good enough. And I say the church in general, not like a specific church. Look, I have been betrayed by God's people. I'm not going to pretend. I have been wounded. God's people have stolen from me. They've disappointed me. They've let me down. They discouraged me. And frankly, I have done some of that to others. But let me tell you something. Even with all of those undeniable facts about a far from perfect church, the math is undeniable. Being a part of God's people and all of our flaws is far more precious to me than embracing a disgusting, filthy world. Yes, the church is imperfect, but frankly, that's what's the miracle about it. In our depravity and imperfection, we waller in them. We have our conflicts, we have our failures, we have our disagreements. Sometimes we might even separate for a time. But here's what I can tell you. If you are a child of God who is continually being advocated for, continually being transformed, and continually being pulled back into fellowship, you will come back, even in the midst of conflict. The world will never be glamorous enough to pull you from true believers out of God's family, even during conflict. Because we understand that even in our frailty, the closest we come, think about this, the closest we come in this world to experiencing God face to face, to experience what it means to be in God's presence, is staying connected to those he's continually working in. That's the only way you're going to, you're not going to experience God fishing for trout, hitting holes in one, going to a football game. There's only one way you're going to experience God on this earth with his spirit and word and with his people. So while the church is imperfect, nothing can compare to it. Nothing at all. 
So this was my social media campaign this week. I put it up there. And, and I really appreciate that more of you are liking it. It makes me feel really good. So like it. Matter of fact, no, no, no. Don't like it. Love it. <laughs> or even a wow, like a, you know that little emoji? That means, wow, Pastor Joe, that was a really good sermon preview. All right, give me some more of those. But if you love me, I mean, you will. But nothing in the world could ever convince you to leave God's family behind if you're truly a member of it. Yay! <laughs> that was really good. Let's close in prayer. I mean, think about it, church. How could anyone with a constant intercessor as good as Christ turn their back on the gospel or the family of God? Amen. They can't. Look, I can't explain this. I frankly don't understand it, but I know it's true in my life. For me, I cannot think of a scenario that would entice me enough to abandon God's people except for maybe the smell of red tide. Other than that, <laughs> I don't know if Jesus can overcome. Uh, obviously, he can. But I can promise you this, tomorrow, and I don't say this lightly, I, I, I said, what number would it take? And I started with a thousand, obviously not a thousand, a million. Tomorrow, someone could offer me a billion dollars to abandon God's people, and I wouldn't take it. If the, if, if the contingency was, here's a billion, but you can't be a pastor anymore, you can't be with God's people anymore, you can't ever go to church again. <laughs> Keep your money. Look, I will fail you. But I can promise you this, and it's not because I'm so great, it's because of my advocate, Jesus. I can promise you this. You will never have to look around and say, where did Joe go? I can say that with confidence. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fail. I'm going to have failures, but I can promise you I'm not going anywhere. Some of you just kind of slumped in your seat. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, you're stuck. See, look, we understand our connection. We understand that our connection with them is to keep a grasp of what grace is and how badly we need it. Nothing reminds you about how powerful grace is than being around people who've been doused by it. We understand that God and his church is the key to understanding the meaning of life. Otherwise, life is just a silly, stupid game. It's so powerful, the church, that even when we stray from it, and, and we will from time to time, the irresistible magnet of grace constantly pulls his children back. My sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me. Even if we wander, we will never be far away. Because there is nothing better that this world has to offer and God will keep pulling us back as he has me since I was 14. So when I said I'll never leave, it wasn't out of arrogance. It was confidence in my two-way advocate, Jesus Christ. That the world will never, ever have anything more precious to me than what God has given me through his son and through his people. I want to end with this verse here. David wrote, writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that, desire, that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and what I choose and my portion, what I choose forever.
Church, as I close, I, I want you to, after going through this, to understand why I titled this, I'll Never Leave. And I hope today you can say, man, my advocate is pretty awesome. There is no reason for me to go anywhere because the world just does not measure up.